0: Please also turn with me to page 529 in the back of the Book of Praise, page 529, as we look this afternoon at uh, the Word of God as it's summarized for us in Lord's Day 52, question and answer 127, page 529. This, of course, is in the context of uh, taking apart the petitions of the Lord's Prayer, and we're looking at the sixth petition this afternoon. And so in question and answer 127, we're asked, what is the sixth petition And the answer, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, that is, in ourselves we are so weak that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, do not cease to attack us. Wilt thou, therefore, uphold and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit, so that in this spiritual war we may not go down to defeat but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. Beloved saints in Christ, congregation known by God and loved by Him through His Son, Jesus Christ. I wish I wish we could say that we we don't understand why Jesus included this petition in the Lord's Prayer. I wish we could say that we don't have to pray this prayer because we don't struggle with this thing called temptation. I wish that... We could restrict this sermon to examples from the Bible like uh, Adam and Eve and David and Paul. But we know all too well that temptation is a present reality for all of us. All of us who even have been justified. That is, we have been declared righteous in the sight of God. In God's sight, we we, we hold the status of, of holy as saints, as those who have been forgiven and cleansed of all our sins. And yet... We know that temptation is very present and a real and present danger for us. And we can all relate to the Apostle Paul in our passage with his struggles with temptation. Now, before we go any further, we want to define what temptation actually means. And we want to make sure that we understand what we're talking about. Temptation is to be distinguished from the act of sinning. James, in fact, fact refers to temptation as evil desire. Uh, Temptation really is the enticement to do what we know is wrong, not the actual doing of the wrong. It's the, the thought uh, or the desire to go outside of God's clear fences. Uh, temptation, we might say, is the lifting of the eye. Uh, the thought that forms in our minds. The inclination that's conceived in our hearts. The finger that lingers over the remote or the, or the mouse. That's temptation. Temptation. Now, if we fail to deal properly with temptation, it can certainly lead us to sin, but it's something that's really confined to the human heart and the human mind. Sin is when temptation becomes the action. Well, our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing us, he taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he says, he commands this because he knows our weakness. He who created us and who redeemed us by taking on our flesh, He knows how strong a force temptation is in our lives. He knows that even we who hold the status of righteous before God, our our flesh still pulls us in the direction of what is unrighteous. We're still inclined to what is evil as we live in in these fleshly tents. And so now that we have prayed in the fifth petition for the forgiveness of our debts... Christ now commands us to pray for deliverance from the power of sin and temptation. And so we summarize what we learned in our confession in question and answer 127 with this theme. We redeemed sinners, pray for deliverance from temptation. Very simple. We redeemed sinners, pray for deliverance from temptation. And we'll see in the first place that this is a shameful admission. And in the second place, it is a shameless petition. But as we redeem sinners, pray for deliverance from temptation, we see in the first place that this is a shameful admission. In other words, how embarrassing is this, that we should have to pray this prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. If you think about who we are, status-wise before God, we're not like the pagan unbelievers out there in the world somewhere who even this day live to indulge their sinful flesh. We are the saints in Christ. We are washed in the blood of Christ. We are a holy nation, the Bible describes us as. We are a chosen race, a people called out of darkness to declare God's praises. We are a people who have been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and we are called to be holy. And yet, what is our pathetic admission to God? In ourselves, we are so weak, that we cannot stand even for a moment. Moreover, our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our flesh do not cease to attack us. This is our situation. Even after conversion. And we have to begin by admitting that. This is where we, we have to, uh, to begin. This is the basis and the foundation of us making any progress in the, in the Christian life. And fighting against temptation. We have to realize that this is our situation. Without God's help, we are helpless and hopeless. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 writes, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. And you see, what we have to realize is that when it comes to sin, we have to be very careful that we don't put our swords away too quickly. We have to guard against the thinking that all is well with us and that we can begin to relax in the Christian life. Because temptation is ever present. It's always near us. And as embarrassing as that is to admit... We have to make that admission. See, Paul Paul wasn't ashamed to admit his weakness. In verse 14, he says, I am, I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. We heard him say in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. We heard him say this in the scriptures. And, and Paul We have to understand, did not understand sin in some kind of a scholarly, uh, catechism class kind of a way. Paul felt the power of temptation surging through his veins. Now, we can jump on our high horse, and we can adopt some kind of a puritanical stance, or some kind of a holier-than-thou attitude. We are the people of God. We don't sin. We don't struggle with temptation like the people of the world. We can try to do that, but in the end... We have to come to this very embarrassing admission that this is true for for not only the Apostle Paul and not for certain people mentioned in the Bible, but it is true for all of us. The hot breath of temptation is always on our necks. The whispers of the enemy are always near to our ears. And the more we own up to our weakness, the more we can cry out to God for his strength in the face of temptation. The ironic thing is that we can often give in to the temptation of thinking that we stand firm while denying. Even while we're denying that we struggle with temptation. And congregation, when we fail to begin the day, and especially begin the day, but also pray throughout the day this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We have to understand that we're leaving ourselves very open and vulnerable and defenseless. Because temptation is all around us. And we need to make this this shameful admission that we're too weak to hold our own even for a moment. We need to declare war on temptation by first owning up to our weakness and inability. We need to stop underestimating the power of temptation and admit that it is a power to be feared. And yes, that's what I said. It is to be feared. We better fear temptation. Because the highway to heaven is littered with the souls of of those who thought that a strong will and dedication was enough to fight this battle. The highway to heaven is strewn with the souls of those who thought, I can look, I can listen, I'm not going to go any further. Well, that's what Adam and Eve thought, didn't they? The highway to heaven is strewn with the souls of those who thought... I'm strong enough to watch those exercise machine uh, infomercials. The sculpted models won't bother me. I can channel surf late at night. I'll switch if any lewd images come on the screen. Well, that's what David thought when he steered at Bathsheba, taking a, a, a bathing in the evening. We think, I'm strong enough to flirt. It's not like I'm going to go any further. Well, that's what the Israelite men Thought. We can read about that in, in Numbers 25 when they flirted with the, the Moabite women. We think, it's just a little harmless kissing and caressing. We'll, we'll stop before things go too far. I'll just, I'll just play with my brother's iPod. I'll, I'll put it back. You ever heard of a guy named Achan in the book of Joshua? We think, I can hang out with these unbelieving friends. I'm strong enough that they won't influence me. You ever heard of a man named Rehoboam, son of Solomon? You say, I'm just relating the facts. It's not like I'm going to graduate and start gossiping. Well, read about a man named Diotrephes in 3 John. And if you think, I can handle wealth, it won't change me. Read in Acts about a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira. And read about the Israelites in the days of the prophet Amos. And people of God, if we have been ever shocked at how sin doesn't take a lot of planning on our part, it just happens. If we've ever been shocked at that, then we know the great need to pray this sixth petition. We know that when we confess in our catechism that in ourselves we are too weak to hold our own, to stand, even for a moment. We know it is true. We know what it means when when Paul says that the good that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, those are the things I find myself doing. And the Lord commands us to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Because he knows us. He knows our frame. He created us. He knows how weak we are and how uh, we are but dust. And he wants to teach us that if we try to fight against temptation in our own strength, we're really setting ourselves up for a tremendous fall. He wants us to remember that we fight against mortal enemies in this life. Enemies who have our worst interest at heart. Enemies that would drag us down without mercy. Enemies that work against the communion and fellowship that we should have with our Savior God. We confess in, uh, in answer to 127 that the devil, the world, and our flesh are constant enemies. They never stop attacking us. And these enemies, they work against us when we're strong and when we're weak. They entice us to pride and self righteousness when we're standing strong, when we're in full armor, we might say. And they pounce viciously in those weak moments when we get careless and when we let our guard down even for a moment. The devil, the world, and the flesh. Let's talk about these for a moment. When we talk about temptation, you know, we. Quite often we, we automatically think of the tempter himself, the devil. He was, as the Bible says, our enemy from the very beginning. He has been the enemy of God's children all through history. He boldly even attacked Christ himself. And he still is our present enemy today. He attacks with craftiness and deceit. He masquerades as an angel of light. His tongue speaks words sweeter than honey. But its poison is designed to kill and destroy. He makes great pretenses of being our friend. And all along he is but a roaring lion, seeking only to devour the children of God. He comes near to us in our weakest moments. In those times when we're going through some kind of suffering or trial. And he implants that he's very subtle, he's very crafty, very deceitful. And he comes near to us in those weak moments, and he implants those troubling questions. Does God really hear prayer? Does God really care about me? What kind of God would allow such pain and suffering in the lives of his children? Can it be true that I, with all my sin, could be an heir of God's kingdom? Isn't it possible that... Maybe it's just not it's possible that God may not be as powerful as I thought He was or, or what, I, what I was taught to believe. If God really exists and is all powerful, how do we explain hundreds of thousands of people uh, dead in, in two or three, I should say, uh, horrendous earthquakes? One in an already fragile, pitiful country. How do we explain? child slavery and child prostitution in places like the Sudan and Somalia and India? How do we explain Christians being persecuted in in places like North Korea, where it is reported that there are between 40 to 60,000 Christians in prison because they confess the name of Christ? And you see, Satan comes near to us and he pretends friendship and he plants these kinds of thoughts and ideas in our heads. And he pretends, he, he makes a great show of being our friend In the meantime, he's trying to deceive us. And he doesn't force us to do anything. He just plants the doubts and the doubtful questions. It's kind of like him saying to us, well, I'm not going to tell you what to believe, buddy. But you see for yourself. You look for yourself. Use your own logic and reason. Believe what you see with your own eyes. Are you going to deny yourselves all the pleasures of this life, having faith in someone who may or may not exist? Come on now. And the thing is, all through our lives, these temptations never stop. These implanted questions never stop. Because Satan is a relentless enemy. And then there's the enemy of the world. And this fallen world, and when I speak of the world here, I'm not speaking of the physical world in that sense, but the world here in the sense of the philosophies all around us, the teachings, the culture, the beliefs the habits that that exist all around us. In a a real sense, the present world is is very closely tied to the devil. In 1 John 5, verse 19, he writes, the whole world is under the control of the evil one. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 3, Paul also refers to the world as being under Satan's control. And see, this fallen world has become enslaved to sin, and Satan is the taskmaster. And for the children of of God... The world is really Satan's armory. He now has powerful weapons in his hands to attack us by luring us into temptation. And the most powerful form of temptation is the call of the world to us and to our children to conform. That is, become like us. That's the most powerful form of temptation that exists around us. It's always existed, and even more so in the day and age that we live in. And you know, the world says to us, it's okay. It's okay if you want to call yourself Christians. That, that's all right with us. But that doesn't mean that you can't be like us, that you have to be different to us. You can, you can dress like us. You can watch the same television uh, shows and the same movies that we watch. And You can desire the same uh, personal uh, pleasure and self-fulfillment just like we do. You can indulge in the same kinds of entertainment uh, like we do. You can love yourself. What did the great philosopher Whitney Houston say? Uh, Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. That's what the world says to us. They say, go ahead. Indulge your natural appetites. Be like us. Come on. What is it going to hurt? Why stick out like a sore thumb? Be tolerant like us. Get wasted. Have sex. Live loud. Live life, the world says to us. Conform become like us. And the world never stops attacking us in this way, never stops tempting us to conform, to act and live like those who do not know God and to adopt its methods and principles and attitudes. But when we face these, these kinds of temptations, congregation, we have to remember what Christ said. And he said, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And so that's why we have to continue to pray about the temptations of the world. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And finally, the final enemy that's mentioned that never stops attacking us is, of course, our own flesh. And this last enemy is the most dangerous because it is really the traitor inside the castle. Our own flesh opens the door and lets the enemy inside. In our passage in Romans 7 Verse 23, Paul says this, But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. And you see, in a very real sense, the children of God want to live a godly life. We want to live a holy life. The problem is that we still live in what Paul calls these fleshly tents, these flesh and bones bodies. We have, we have tasted the fruit of the Spirit, but yet we still yearn for the acts of the old sinful nature. And that, that's the tension that the children of God live with all through our lives. In Colossians 3, Paul reminds us of our heavenly status on the one hand, but then he immediately calls us to put to death that which belongs to the earthly nature. And again, it's a shameful admission, congregation, but even for, the, for us, the saints in Christ, our own flesh is a sworn enemy dedicated to our downfall. When we, For example, when we give a cup of cold water to one of God's children, our flesh yearns for the recognition. When we witness to an unbeliever, we want to announce it with trumpets because we want everyone to know that this person made this effort and they were talking to an unbeliever and they're involved in evangelism and outreach. And we want that pat on our back somehow and that recognition. Even when we pray, Our flesh fights against us. Because we'll have a good morning, for instance, when we'll have a good time of prayer. And we'll pour out our heart to God. And we will confess our sins and we'll pray for ourselves and those around us and for the needs that we see. And then as we rise up, what happens? We begin to think, boy, God must have really heard that one. The words just flowed from me with such passion and eloquence. What a godly person am I. And if it's not that, it's the hormones that are kicking up a storm inside of us. If it's not that, it's the covetousness, it's the envy, it's the pride, it's the idolatry. And so people of God, let us freely confess that temptation still exists for us. As embarrassing a confession as that is. Because the more we admit our weakness and the strength of our enemies, the more fervently we'll pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. But now, having pulled the covers off and made this shameful admission, we now want to see in the second place that this part of the Lord's Prayer is also a shameless petition. We confess in our catechism that we plead to God. Wilt thou therefore uphold and strengthen us by the power of thy Holy Spirit? So that in this spiritual war, we may not go down to defeat, but always firmly resist our enemies until we finally obtain the complete victory. Like Paul, the confession wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death, leads us to the confession, thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we admit that we cannot hold our own even for a moment, the Lord doesn't leave us wallowing in hopelessness. He points us to Christ to His power, to His strength in our weakness. Christ causes us in the sixth petition to realize that we must declare war on sin. But by seeking His strength, we're confessing that we fight under Him as our captain. By admitting that we are helpless against the enemy of temptation, we're confessing that He is our refuge and our strength, our ever-present help in times of trouble. In our catechism, we confess that we are in a spiritual war And this confession is a very personal and yet very corporate thing. Christ, by his Spirit, gives strength to his church as she moves forward as the church militant, and he gives strength to every one of us as individuals as we wrestle with our own individual struggles. The point, though, that we want to take away from this is that we are not without hope in this life, we don't have to go down in defeat. In the power of the Spirit of Christ, we can firmly resist our enemies. The Holy Spirit of Christ is our indispensable help against temptation. And we make this petition to, to, to Christ shamelessly because we understand that without the help of His Holy Spirit, we have no hope in and of ourselves. Whatever our struggle may be today, whatever the temptation that we have been wrestling with lately or perhaps even for years Christ alone can enable us to emerge victorious. And you know, let us never forget whose side we're fighting on. We are fighting on the, on the side of the Lord Jesus Christ, who resisted the devil's temptations successfully in the desert. And this, by the way, when he was at his weakest. In fact, all through his life, the temptations of the devil were no match His holy will. But because of this, because of what He went through, walking in our flesh, being tempted in every way as we are, He can relate to us as one who walked in our weakness. The writer of Hebrews says, because He Himself suffered when He was tempted, He is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ, our Savior, understands our struggle. And He is able to help us in our weakness. And He has said to us, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. He has said to us in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And in fact, in Luke, which is good to remember, Luke 11 verses 21 to 22, he says this, When a strong man... Fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him, he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoil. What is he saying here? Well, we know the context of this. The Pharisees were at this time accusing Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the prince of demons. And Jesus corrects them. And he tells them that he was able to do this because he had first bound the strong man, that is Satan. And so Satan, we have to realize for us, is a defeated enemy. And the world is conquered by Christ. And the flesh is crucified by Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ has become for us our help and strength, our shield and defender. And The bottom line is that we're to take temptation seriously, of course. We have to. We have to take temptation seriously while all along trusting in Christ's power to uphold us and to make us strong. We're to watch and pray so that we would not fall into temptation while believing that Christ now speaks to the Father in our defense. We're to rid ourselves of the things that cause us to fall into temptation. That is, uh, following the command of Christ, pluck out the eye, cut off the hand that causes us to sin while we trust in the one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet was without sin. And people of God, what we have to understand is that temptation is but the window into sin. It's a means whereby we can look at sin, we can think about it, we can fantasize about it, but in these times, we need to remember to turn our eyes to Christ, our strength, as we seek to resist the world and the flesh and the devil. And Someday, some glorious day, these jars of clay will be clothed in perfect righteousness and obedience. But until that day, Let us continue as God's people to pray. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Our song of responses number is Psalm 71. Um, Let's rise to sing stanzas 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 71.